Welcome to Fusion Church's Sermon of the Week. Fusion Church is located in Wakanda, Illinois. We exist to complete and multiply people who passionately follow Christ. For more information, visit www.fusionchurch.com. Let's dive into this week's sermon. Well, hey, church family, I hope you're doing really well. Uh, the sun is shining today. There are birds chirping outside. It feels like there are signs of spring on the horizon. So hopefully you got outside and enjoyed a little bit of the good weather uh, last week and then coming up this week. It's great to be able to be together, whether we're online or whether you're in person, hanging out with some people to worship Jesus, to remind ourselves of who's King, who's Lord, no matter what's going on in our life, and then worship him. That's what this carving out of this hour to an hour and a half on Sundays is all about. And so I'm glad that we're able to do that in whatever format that we can do it. It's just an honor to be able to do it. I want to let you know before I dive into the word about a couple uh, changes that are happening. Uh, one big one right now is, uh, if you haven't heard, Justin and Carlene Sears, who have been faithfully serving our, our student ministry, our youth group, for the last couple years. They're feeling like it's time to move on into some other things in life. Uh, and so they're going to be stepping down from, from serving our, our kids as leaders in our youth ministry. And we just want to say from the bottom of our heart, thank you to Justin and Carlene for just the incredible work that you've done, especially over this last year, which was so difficult for, for so many reasons, but trying to keep kids on Zoom and keeping them engaged while we weren't able to meet in person and all that kind of stuff. It's just been so difficult. And you guys have just been glue that's just held it together. So we so appreciate you doing this. And, and if you have uh, kids in our, in our youth ministry, would you just let them know how much that you appreciate, uh, appreciate them? Send them a text. And I know we've got some gifts and stuff like that coming their way. So we just really appreciate you, Justin and Carly. And we want to celebrate you and the work that you've done. You've laid a foundation for the next person that's going to step in to lead our youth ministry. Uh, and we're just excited about that foundation. So thank you. And then we also want to ask you all Fusion Church to be praying as we've started in earnest this process of trying to find a full-time youth pastor to work with our student ministry. So this year we have more kids that are coming into middle school uh, and we just believe that this next season is going to be really heavily focused on our youth ministry. And so we're investing in this position. And so we are asking you to be praying as we try to find the right person. We're going to be starting interviews and doing nationwide kind of search right now now. So we've got feelers out to everywhere. We're talking with staffing agencies. We're going after this thing full born, investing in our students. And so we're asking you uh, to be praying for that too. So just want to let you know about that. Also, a few other just quick, uh, quick announcements. If you probably got an email this week, uh, that we're giving away Easter eggs for you to host some Easter egg hunts in your front yard or your backyard or wherever you want to do it. Uh, those are stuffed and completely free to you. We've already purchased, I think, like 1,500 of those eggs, and we would really love for you to simply just host a simple Easter egg hunt in your front yard as a way just to connect with neighbors and bless uh, bless those who you live with or live around. And so, uh, so you can find those details in the email. If not, email Megan at fusionchurch.com and she'll get you the information. Also be watching out all of our social media and email for information for Good Friday and Easter so that you can be a part of it, but also so that you can invite people to it. We've got some great stuff planned and we want to be the kind of church that invites people uh, to hear the good news of Jesus. And so we want to encourage you to pay attention to those and then be able to invite your friends and your family. If you have a family gathering already planned, make this the center of that family gathering. Uh, don't wait and then kind of try to fit this in later on in the day on Easter or on Good Friday, but make this the center of what you're going to do to celebrate the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And then one last thing is that we're going to have a worship night the Monday right after Easter, a reset worship night uh, at Hope Collective like we did earlier in the month of March. That's going to be the first Monday in April. So there are your announcements. Let me pray as we dive into the word. Heavenly Father, I'm just so, I'm so thankful for this group of people that I get to do life with and that we get to experience your presence with, God. 
the joys and pains, Lord, from, from, from births to hospital visits and uh, from experiencing all different kinds of things together, Lord, from, from seeing people freed of, of addictions and, and stepping into transformation and falling in love with you and marriages healed. God, it is an absolute joy and privilege, Lord, to share your word with your church and your people. So Jesus, I pray that the words that come out of my mouth would not be merely human words, but Lord, would you just let me be your mouthpiece for this little bit of time, God, and speak what's on your heart today in humility, God, uh, and in transparency, Lord, but also with authority and power. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and raise us up a, a sense of expectation for what you'll do today in our midst, in our homes, online, that you will stir up a passion in us for you. And I pray, God, that the word of God won't return void today. And I proclaim by faith that you will do something, that the Father, that the words that you speak today will produce transformation in the hearts of the hearers. And as it has in my heart. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today is going to be our last message in our first love series. We started all the way back at the beginning of the year. And I want to have just a couple disclaimers before, before we dive into the word. First disclaimer is this. Uh, if you're joining us online, we're so thankful uh, that you've been doing that. And if you've been kind of tracking with us, but, but haven't really connected with our church family, like we don't really know you, we are just so grateful that you would choose to make this a place that you would be coming to for nourishment and learning more about Jesus. We want you to keep doing that and we want to get to know you. Uh, we're so thankful for that. But I want you to know that this message today is a little bit more for the folks who call Fusion Church home. So I don't want you to feel like you can't listen. Uh, I don't want you to feel like this is not a conversation for you or not a message for you, but I want you to know that this is like a family kind of conversation that we're about to have. I guess it's more of a monologue than a conversation because I can't hear you if you can't talk to me. But this is something that's, that I want to speak directly to our church family. And we would love for you to be a part of that. But I just want you to know that if you feel like, yeah, this doesn't really feel relevant to me, that's okay. Uh, lean in because maybe God will speak to you and say something. And, um, and, and so, so I, but I want you to know that this is a message primarily for our church family. And that means for you, church family, if this is your home, I want you to lean in and pay close attention today. Because this isn't just a message about you individually. This is about what I think God is calling us to as a church. So I want that first disclaimer. The second disclaimer is this. And I shouldn't, this shouldn't be a disclaimer, more of an explanation. We're going to teach a little bit today from the book of Revelation, which is the last book in your Bible. And I know for most, for, for not most, but, but for a lot of people, when you hear a message is coming from Revelation, you just immediately kind of like shut down. You run it through the grid of like some really unhealthy views of the book of Revelation. Uh, the book of Revelation is that one that we think of as the scary one at the end that talks about the end of the world. It has all this like weird imagery and all that kind of stuff. And for you, maybe this like automatically feels like something, I'm not going to go there. This kind of wigs me out or I've got bad experiences. I just want to ask you today to lean in today and track with me. Actually, I think if we really understood what the book of Revelation, the revelation of, of the Apostle John, if we if really understood what it was about and kind of stripped away some of the uh, theological confusion around it, it actually would really encourage us. So actually, I just want to just say before we kind of dig into the scripture that the book of Revelation, is, as I understand it, is less about what is going to happen at the end of things and this scary kind of uh, a horror story that we often understand it to be or hear it to be. And it's actually the, the word that's used in the Bible is apocalypse. And the word apocalypse doesn't just mean something scary that happens at the end of the world. It actually means that something has been uncovered or revealed. And actually, I think if we really dig into the book of Revelation, what it's actually telling us, what it's trying to show us is this is the stuff that's going on that you can't see. To the original readers or hearers of the book of Revelation, they would have heard this and it would have been helpful for them not to understand what will happen one day, but what is happening right now. And what has played out over and over again throughout history. And it does tell us something of what to anticipate, but it's kind of this uncovering of this is what's happening right now. 
And it actually was meant to be an encouragement to the churches and a challenge to the churches to be faithful to Jesus, that he had it, that he was going to win whatever battle they were facing. And so it was okay. They needed to hold fast and persevere because it was all in Jesus' hands. So it paints this picture for us that should encourage us or challenge us, challenge us. But the truth is it uses imagery that's a little foreign to us, well, a lot foreign to us, uh, and that we're not familiar with. I mean, today we're going to talk about stars and lampstands, and later on in the book, we're not going to talk about this today, there's like dragons, and I mean, just lots of stuff that feels very foreign to us. But to the original hearers, this would have been imagery that would have uh, provoked their imagination, and they would have made connections with it, and it actually would have been really encouraging and really challenging. So I just want to just put that out there. I want to put that out there right at the beginning because I don't want you to be put off by where we're going. This is not a book that we need to apologize about preaching uh, from, but it is a book that we've got to understand in order to get after what God has for us in it. And so if you're still with me, if you haven't turned off your TV right now or turned off the podcast by what I've already said, then get ready because we're going to dive right in. So in chapter two in the book of Revelation, It starts off, and we're just going to go kind of line by line. Here's what it says. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write this. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Here you go. You're already wigged out. You're like, oh my gosh, there's stars and lampstands. I don't know what's going on. Let me break it down. This is simply Jesus who's talking, and he's telling, hey, John, I want you to write this down. And I want you to write it down as though you're sending it to an angel. This angel has been put in charge over this church in a place called Ephesus. That's all this is. And the stars that are mentioned here represent the angels. They're kind of like attached to different churches. So we've got this angel that's here and this angel that's over here. And it's just saying these stars that are in this person's hand, who is Jesus, these stars represent the, the angels that are over these churches. And it has Jesus this as uh, being represented as walking among these seven lampstands, this lamp, these lampstands, these um, uh, like candle kind of holder kind of things. And the picture here is that Jesus is walking among these lampstands and he's holding these angels kind of in his hand. It's this cool kind of imagery that gets us to go, whoa, that's, that feels like something otherworldly. It's something, something different. And those lampstands that Jesus was walking among are the churches. And so this is the first letter to one of these churches. There's going to be seven of these that that Jesus is going to say, hey, I want you to write this down. I want you to write it to the angel of this church. And so Jesus is doing that here. He is is saying, this is what I want you to do. And, And he's saying this as he's walking among kind of these churches. So the imagery is simply Jesus wants to say something to his church. You strip away all all the kind of stuff. Jesus is saying something to his church. He's saying, I want you to write down this and I want you to tell this specifically to this church in Ephesus. And here is what he says. The very first thing he says to this church in Ephesus, he says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. This is a great word of affirmation that Jesus is saying to his church. Like, wouldn't you want for Jesus to say, if you were a part of a church, hey, well done, church. I know your deeds. I know how hard you work. And I know your perseverance. Like, well done. Like, this is, this is simply an affirmation of Jesus. He's saying, look, I see what you do. I've been watching. And I see the way, and these deeds could be anything. I see the way you serve the poor. I see the way that you take care of one another. I see the way that you proclaim the good news of the gospel. I see the way that you pray for healing and and you see people be healed. I see the way you're living your life on mission, we might say. I see the way that you're making disciples. I see all the deeds that you do. And great job. I I can see that you do all that. And it's not just that, but like you don't just do it, dabble in it. Like you persevere in it. You work really hard. And so this first kind of opening line is simply an affirmation of Jesus to the church that, hey, I see the good stuff, the good works that I created for you to do. I I see it and I see you're doing it. So so awesome job. And wouldn't that be great (laughs) to be the kind of church that Jesus 
would say that about us or say that about another church. Hey, that church over there, they really do this stuff. (laughs) They really represent me well by what they do. They serve the poor. They take care of people in their community. They do all these incredible things. They do it all for me. Like, wouldn't that be awesome to be that kind of church that Jesus would say that about us? I mean, most churches would want that kind of reputation. Hey, Jesus is really proud of the deeds that we do. So that's that first affirmation. The second affirmation is this. He says, I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. I know that you can't tolerate wicked people. Now, this is a little bit confusing because it sounds like, well, wait, aren't we supposed to love people? And he's talking about not tolerating people. Well, he's not saying that we go around to the world and call out how bad everyone is. He's saying within the family of God, you are committed to holiness. You are committed to righteousness. You are committed to moral goodness and integrity. You, you have uh, this dedication to being the people I have called you to be in holiness. And so you don't tolerate wickedness. He's not saying that, that like this church was like just crazy judgmental and calling out everybody's junk. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, but you don't have any place in your, in your, in your family, in your church family, for there to be a hint of immorality, a hint of a lack of integrity. This is what you're committed to. That you are known as a morally good church. And hey, wouldn't that be awesome also? I mean, especially right now in a context where year after year we keep hearing about the moral failing of, uh, of leaders and then and kind of the different evils that have gone on within the church. I mean, you can just use your imagination here in the last few, maybe 10 years, the evils that have come out, that have been perpetuated, that have happened in the church. Here's Jesus saying to a church, man, you are committed to moral goodness. You are committed to holiness. You don't tolerate that kind of stuff within the family of God. Like that, that's awesome. Like, wouldn't that be great if that was the reputation? And wouldn't it be great if Jesus would say that about our church or about another church? Hey, good job. (laughs) You're committed to holiness. You're committed to righteousness. That would be awesome. So that's the second affirmation. Then there's a third affirmation. He says this. He says, "I, I I know not only that, but that you also have tested those who claim to be apostles, but are not and have found them false. So you've tested these people who claim to be apostles and found them false. What, what's that about? Well, the, these would be people who would be going around and claiming to have an authoritative message from God. This authoritative message from God. They would be going around and preaching and teaching places. And this was very common in, uh, in the days of the early church. And they would be coming and proclaiming some version of the gospel. Well, apparently this church at Ephesus had people had come there and were claiming to do that, but actually were preaching some kind of false gospel. They actually had really bad doctrine, it seems, and they were leading people astray by what they were sharing. Their Bible and their theology was way off. And so this church kind of tested it. They, they said, okay, you come and share with us. And as they were listening to people and weighing it against the scripture, they found that these were false teachers. They were actually leading people astray by what they were teaching. And so these people, this is an affirmation, man. You guys love my word. You love the scriptures. This is not just about rejecting people. This is about an acceptance or an elevation of God's word. You people, man, you're really committed to the word of God. You really know my heart so that you can kind of discern when someone is saying something that's false. And again, wouldn't that be great to hear from Jesus? Man, you guys, your theology, it's tight. You've got it all put together. You know my word really well. You apply it and you can kind of filter out anything that's not true. Man, wouldn't that be great? And wouldn't every church, I think most churches already think that that's true about them. We've got our theology buttoned up and tight, right? I mean, that would be great to hear from Jesus. It would be great to know. It would be great to be known as a church that's faithful to God's word and is able to sift out lies from truth. So that's the third affirmation. And the fourth and final affirmation is this. He says, you have persevered and endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. You've gone through this hard stuff. You've gone through this difficult thing, church, he's saying. 
and you haven't gotten tired. You've endured. You've actually fought hard together. I think here there's actually an element of, of community. Actually, this isn't like you didn't just endure, endure this as individuals. Actually, you crossed the finish line together. You're a team, you're a community that has endured incredible hardship and you've persevered and you hadn't got weary. I mean, I think this is like Jesus saying, look, you've gone through a lot for me. I'm just recognizing that. It's not been easy. So good job, church. Actually, just in a, in, in a, sometime later on this year, we're going to actually do a series on endurance and perseverance because it's one of the most common themes in the New Testament, how to, how to get through life with endurance or with perseverance. But it's one of the things that we neglect to talk about the most. And here Jesus is saying, great job. <laughs> you did it, church. I think if you put this profile together, out of these affirmations, these things that Jesus is saying, good job, church. If you put these things into one church, you would have an amazing church. Think about it. Uh, a church that's known for their ability to serve their community, these deeds that they've done. Yeah, everyone knows this church for how awesome that they serve. Then a church that uh, is committed to moral integrity says, you know what? We, we, won't, uh, we won't allow ourselves to just kind of be married to the world, so to speak, and just operate the way everyone around us was. Actually, we hold ourselves to a higher standard of lifestyle and righteousness and holiness. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be great if you say, okay, those two things would come. And then you add the third thing of, man, this church is really committed to the scriptures. They really know the word of God. That's a Bible-believing church. Then if you add that fourth thing, man, they, they are super committed to uh, not, just, uh, not just kind of limping through life, but enduring and not getting weary. They, they know how to finish well together. If you put those four things together, what an awesome church. I think most churches would say, yeah, that's the kind of church we aspire to be. And maybe there's a few other things we would put in there. But I think even for most people looking for a church, that might be some of the things they would say, gosh, I really want a church that's committed to the scripture. I want a church that actually is active. They, 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 they don't just talk about the word of God. They actually do the word of God. And I want people that are committed to moral integrity. And I want people I can do life with and get through the hard stuff. And wouldn't that be great? And actually, friends, I've heard people say these kinds of things about our church ever since before I ever even was a part of it. But going back as far as I can remember, I know that our church has been known as a church that serves well in our community. I can't tell you how many times I get a phone call from someone over the course of a year and the community that says, hey, Confusion Church help out with this because they know that we'll be willing to serve. I can't tell you how many times um, we've, we've had kind of situations or instances where uh, we've held a higher standard of moral integrity uh, maybe it's happened behind closed doors and you didn't know about it, but that's exactly was the right thing to do. We actually dealt with it before it could become a problem that would harm people or hurt people. Actually, we've had people, because we have a high moral standard, say, yeah, this church isn't for me. I thought I could just live the lifestyle that I want to live. And we say, no, actually, when you follow Jesus, you got to leave it all behind. Like, it's free grace, but, you, but you, take, you give it all to him. It's a death to self, right? And we know, I know people who have, who have said, man, I'm just so thankful that here at our church, we really value the word of God and you hold that up as a high standard because we do. And I know plenty of people who have said, man, I don't know what it is about your church, but I see you guys go through some crazy stuff and I don't know how you're standing on your own two feet right now. I don't know how you're standing up, how you guys got through this, but I see that there's something different about you. And man, isn't that awesome to celebrate as a church? Isn't that great Like that, that people would know us that way and that we could be proud in a way? I think that Jesus, his word of affirmation, like just like he was to the church, would even to, to be to us to say, yeah, Good job. Not to say there's not more to be done in, in, in all of those areas, because there certainly is. But I think his heart would say, is affirming that. Yeah, well done. Yet after all of those affirmations, Jesus has a clear correction. 
After all the, yeah, well done, good job, you've been doing it. He's got this word of correction. Here's what it says in verse 4. Yet this, so all of that's true. Yet, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Going forward just a little bit. If you do not repent, I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place. This language here of you have forgotten the love you had at first or you have forgotten your first love. This word forsaken was often used in uh, situations where there was a divorce happening. Specifically a divorce that was due to infidelity. Someone who was married to another person and then gave their love or their allegiance to someone else. They had forsaken their first love and there was a, a divorce or a split happening. And so here Jesus is using this language of, hey, we were, it was like we were married together. But somehow or another, you have forsaken me. Somehow or another, you have committed yourself to someone else as if there is a divorce happening. Jesus is kind of saying, look, you did all these amazing things. You, you, all my affirmations I just said about you, all of those things are true. That's wonderful and good. It's exactly who I want you to be but you've gotten off track. You've been doing kind of the right things, but your reasons for doing them have gotten out of whack. You, you've, you've kept doing the things that matter to me, but there's one thing that matters to me more than anything else, and that has been lost. What I have been after, I think Jesus is saying to his church, what I have been after is your love and your devotion. That everything that you do flows out of this love and devotion to me. Have you forgotten that? You've walked away from that. And so he gives them this warning. Look, if you stay on this path that you're on right now, if you continue to kind of marry yourself to other things, to give your heart and your devotion over to other things, I'm going to remove your lampstand. Basically, you'll cease to be a church. Let me just say that that's an uncomfortable word to read in the Bible. This kind of correction with this kind of warning, uh, it's very difficult for us to hear that and read that. Uh, the truth is we love affirmations. Those first four things, all day long. <laughs> but we don't really know what to do with the corrections. You know, you don't hear a lot of worship songs or devotionals about how your lampstand is going to be removed, right? You don't hear a lot of like, um, you know, it's not like your Bible verse of the day. Hey, your lampstand is going to be removed or you have forgotten your first love. That's not one that pops up a whole lot for us. Because we don't know what to do with that a lot of times. We have a default kind of uh, appreciation for affirmation. We, we love that. We love that about God. Um, and God loves that too. He loves to affirm his people. He loves to speak words of truth and, and, and words of identity and words of affirmation over his people. However, there's also this correction. And so I'm going to, I just want you to know there's going to be a little bit of maybe a trigger here, but I just want you to hear this. And I think it's so important that you lean in and that you don't turn it off. If all you ever hear is affirmation and you never hear correction, you're probably not really hearing the voice of the Father clearly. I say it again. If all you ever hear is affirmation, but you never hear correction, then you're probably not hearing the voice of the Father correctly. Because the, the scripture is clear that the Father disciplines those he loves, that he prunes us so that we might be even more fruitful. It all comes from a place of love. It all comes from a place of devotion from God. But in, in the scriptures, love cannot be divorced from correction when it comes from the Father. If it's true love from the Father, if it's true affirmation, there's always going to be the possibility for correction. 
It's because he loves us that there is this opportunity for correction. Actually, a, a father who is indifferent or a mother who is indifferent to their, to their children don't have any interest in correction because it doesn't matter. But, but someone who truly loves their children is going to lean into correction time to time precisely because of their love. So if you only ever hear affirmation and you, and you kind of turn away from correction, you, you're really missing out on something. But on the flip side, if all you ever hear is correction and you never hear affirmation, then you're not hearing the voice of the Father well either. Because the truth is, it is both and. The Father both affirms and corrects because that is what he loves to do. If, if you're only ever hearing correction or rebuke and not affirmation, you're probably hearing the voice of the accuser who wants you to feel shame and condemnation and distance from God. Whereas the voice of the Father says, you know what? Come to me. <laughs> Come to me. You're carrying burdens you're not meant to carry. That's correction. The affirmation, comment, I will give you rest. That's the voice of the Father. Affirmation says, if anyone has sins, <laughs> then, then you all throw the first stones. And I don't condemn you. That's what he says to the woman. But then he says, go and sin no more. There's affirmation and there's correction. And so here in God's word, we see so clearly that Jesus is both affirming his church and saying, this is what's true about you. This is what I love about you. But then there's this thing. So Jesus speaks this word of affirmation and correction. And he's doing it because he's calling them back to their first love. He's calling them back to what actually fueled them and gave them life and gave them freedom in what they were doing and, 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 and is calling them back to something because he knows that they're on a wayward path. Now I want to say, church, that this is a word that was written to a specific church in a specific time. And I don't think, I just want to be very clear, I don't think that Fusion Church, I don't think that we have forsaken our first love. But I do think that in this passage is such a relevant warning for us, uh, such a relevant opportunity for us to pause. I think this is a word for us not uh, right now, not because we've gone astray and we've forgotten our first love, but because it's, it's saying, hey, I want you to pay attention to this. I think it stands for something us to, for us to weigh as a church family and heed the warning. It's kind of like a sign on the road that warns you, hey, this lane is ending. And so you better start merging now or the rumble strips on the side of the road when you kind of start to drift over into another lane or off of the road. It's like, it's, it's warning you, hey, you're not there yet, but it, you're going to get there. And so I think God's voice to us right now is to say, hey, I want you to pay attention because there's a narrow of focusing. The lane here is about to close and I want you to be ready for it. Because I want you to be ready to dial in with what I'm about to do. See, I think that Jesus would say to us as a church, it's great that you have done all of these things as a church, that you have this reputation of serving people well in your community, of going through hard things together, of having a high degree of moral integrity, of knowing the word. I think, I think Jesus would say to us, it's all great, but those are not the things I really want you to be known for. What I am after is your heart. What I am after, I think what Jesus would say to us, is radical love and devotion. I want all of you all the time. I don't want you to have any divided loves or loyalty. I want your extravagant, total, and complete devotion. That is what I want for you, and that is what I want to be famous in heaven and famous on earth. I want your loyalty. I want your devotion. I don't want you to be distracted by these other things. Those things are good. It's good for you to go after those things, but not leaving my love behind. So church, I'm, I'm just saying this to you, both individually, but it's not just about you as an individual. The, this whole first love series has not just been about you getting your first love right in your heart. This is about us resetting corporately to make sure that Jesus is our first love as a church family. That God would be your first love and that he would be our first love. That collectively together, he would be our first love, the love we had at first. 
And the truth is, church, I just want you to know that I want to be known for all those things that Jesus affirms. I want all of that and more. But the truth is, I don't want any of it if he is not at the complete and total center of it all, if his name isn't lifted up high, if his name isn't the most important thing, if he isn't the King of Kings and Lord of Lords that makes us say, I, get, I adore you, Jesus. So I believe God is inviting us to take a look and see if he really is the center of what it is that we're doing. If our number one priority is expressing our love and our devotion to him, lifting up his name. I think that Jesus wants our reputation to be, those people love Jesus radically. They love Jesus radically. And I know that that's there. I know that's a part of who we are, but I feel like God wants to take us to deeper places with this. I think he wants us to take our devotion so much deeper here. The good news is that here in the passage, Jesus tells the, the church in Ephesus, here's how you do that. Here's how you return back to your first love. I think it's our pathway as well. He says first in verse five, consider how far you've fallen. Consider how far you've fallen. Look, he says, look, I, I, want, you to, I, I want you to take a minute and see how you've drifted away from where you started. See how you've drifted away. You know, if you've ever floated in water, like in the ocean, it's really easy just to drift without paying attention. Before you know it, especially if there's a riptide, you're far away from shore. It says, look, I want you to, I'm going to take a minute. I want you to realize how far you've drifted away. And one of the things that I know that happens in relationships, especially like marriage relationships is, you know, no one, no one, um, no one ever says, you know what? I think I, I think I don't want to love that person anymore. And I think I'd really like to have an affair. I mean, some people do, but most of the time that's not what happens. Most of the time what happens is there's subtle drift, a, a, a compromise here, a compromise there. And before you know it, you find yourself in a situation you never thought you'd be in making a choice that you never thought you would make because you've drifted away all of this period of time. Slowly making compromises one after another until we finally find ourselves in a place that's far from where we started. And so I think Jesus is saying like, I want you to see where you started. I want you to see where you are now. And it's not a word of condemnation. It's not a, how dare you do this? It's not a word of, of, um, uh, of your terrible people. It's like, hey, Remember, remember how much you loved me. Remember the joy of your salvation. Remember how excited you were to spend time with me and to talk about me and to remember how alive you felt. I want you to consider how far you've drifted from that. I want you to know, I want you to recognize if, how have you been slowly giving your heart over to another people? And church, I would say for, for us right now, this is so critically important. Our love and our devotion to Jesus is like most of us would not think is threatened until all of a sudden it is. So I think it's important for us to reprioritize and recognize, is there anything else that's been getting my attention that, that is really only meant for Jesus? Have I give, been giving myself over to, to safety and security or a certain kind of lifestyle? Have I been giving myself over to politics and political solutions to the world's problems? Have I been giving myself over to just I, the idol of my family? I mean, you name the thing. Is there anything that you've been giving yourself over to that's caused you to drift away from Jesus as your first love? I'm telling you right now, friends, there is something happening in the church where there is a polarization that's happening that's really, really unhealthy. Right now, both the left and the right are getting caught up in a war that is completely unhealthy for the church. We have forgotten that Jesus is our king and the only savior and the only solution for every problem that exists on the face of the planet. And I'm telling you, there is a spiritual drift that's happening. It's going this way and it's going that way. And Jesus is saying, would you come back and see me as Lord and Savior again? And that same kind of drift is happening in all different kinds of ways in culture, be it around identity and sexuality, be it around how I should live my lifestyle, you name it. There's drift happening 
And so Jesus is saying like, no, come back. Remember what this was about. Remember that I am Lord. I am your savior, that I am your king. And remember the love that you had for me at first. So what was it like when Jesus was the most important thing to you? What was that like? What was that like for us as a church? Next thing that Jesus says is repent. So consider and then repent. Change your mind. We know this. Mark talked about this a few weeks ago. Repentance is simply a change of mind that leads to a change in action. So I was thinking this, and now that I recognize that thinking is wrong, that this is actually true over here, then I've got to course correct. I've got to actually go this way. The truth is you can't change your direction without a change of mind. So imagine that scenario where you're floating away from the shore, like I talked about. You're floating on the ocean, and you find yourself floating away from the shore. If you feel like you're close to shore, but you're actually really far, you're deluded and deceived. So what needs to happen is you need to recognize exactly where you are. You look and you go, oh, the shore is over there. Okay, I'm going to change my mind. I thought the shore was over here, but it's actually over here. So now I can change my course of action. I can swim towards the shore and back towards safety. And so I think that Jesus is calling us to repent, to, to, to evaluate and look and say, hey, is there any area of my life that's getting devotion that he is meant to have? Is there anything else that's occupying my attention? Is anything else my first love? Okay, I thought it was this, but now he's showing me actually that mm, there's more of my heart that belongs to him. So what Jesus is trying to remind us of is what's true, of that he is better, that Jesus is better than anything that you can possibly imagine. The life that you think you want doesn't compare to the life that he wants for you. The answers that, that the world needs today are better in him than they are in anything that the world can offer. I'm telling you right now, Jesus is better. And repentance looks like actually believing that. Saying, yeah, I believe that Jesus is better. I believe that he is the solution to my marriage and to my addiction and to my whatever it is. Jesus is better. So we've got to, we've got to acknowledge where we are and change directions. And the third thing that Jesus says, says, so first consider, then repent. And he says this, do the things you did at first. Get back to the simple things. Get back to when I was your first love. What did that look like? What did that feel like? Get back to that. And in working with lots of uh, couples and counseling and stuff like that, one of the things I recognize is one of the pathways forward in a relationship is to remember why they fell in love in the first place. What did you enjoy doing when you first discovered being in love with this person that you enjoyed spending time with this person? What was that like? What did you do together? And actually, a lot of times the way forward is to go back and to rediscover, gosh, I actually really do love this person. The weight of time and the things that have happened throughout life have actually caused me to kind of forget what I loved about this person or what we enjoyed doing together. So for example, Jen and I, when we first got married, we, uh, before we were married, we used to take long road trips together. We would, we would uh, drive back and forth from uh, Tennessee where we went to college to one of our family's house and we would have these amazing conversations, listening to music on the road. And it was the way, one of the ways that we built our relationships. And to this day, when we're like just feeling the need to get away and just focus on one another, a road trip is one of the best things that we can do for our marriage because it reminds us of how we started. And we find ourselves, man, I really enjoy this company. I really love you. And oh, let's listen to that song. And we, we go back to the things that we did at first. So what did you do when you first fell in love with Jesus? What kind of time did you spend with him? How did you talk about him with the people that you knew? Uh, what, what did that look like? And what did that look like for us as a church? If you, if you know, if you remember when you first fell in love, if you've ever been uh, blessed enough to have that experience where you really gave your heart to another person, you'll know that you, nothing would stop you from spending time with that person. Yet it didn't feel like duty. It felt like a joy. Gosh, I can't wait to be with that person. I can't wait to talk with that person. That's what it feels like to be in love with first. And that is the kind of first love that God is calling us to. It doesn't feel like drudgery. This doesn't feel like something I have to do. It feels like something I get to do. That's what God is calling us to. 
calling that to, to you individually and your relationship with God. He's calling to that for us as a church. It's like, oh, what a privilege it is to worship together. Oh, what a privilege it is to serve together. Oh, what a privilege it is to care for one another because Jesus is our first love. For us as a church and for every church, I think that there's a unique expression that God gives us. Uh, every church is a little bit different. The letters that Jesus writes to the seven churches here in Revelation, each one is a little bit different because they're different kind of churches. And our church is different than every other church. We were not called to be like the church next door in the next town or even in this town. We were called to be our church. And actually, the way forward and the kind of church that God is calling us to become is usually found in our roots, the way sometimes we think about it, it's like the fruit can actually be traced back to the root. So who were we at first as a church? And how is God calling us back to that? Not because we've done anything wrong, not because, they're, uh, because we're, we're in danger of losing our way, but because I think that God has something new ahead of us and that the new thing ahead of us actually can be found by looking behind us and saying, what did God do back there? What was he doing in the life of our church? And I can't tell you how excited I am to discover that and discover what he has for us ahead of us, but I want us to look back. And actually, one of the ways I want to do that is I want to hear from some people who are around at the beginning of our church and just uh, be reminded of, here, maybe we weren't around, maybe you weren't here, but you should know this is what it was like at Fusion Church at the beginning. So I asked Rob and Meg just to do a little video here just to give you a little picture before we close of what Fusion Church was like in the beginning. Uh, hi, Mary hi. Cordell's. And yes, we've been around Fusion for a long time. And in the early days of Fusion, we were a young adult church and um, we had a lot of people that had just come to faith in Jesus for the first time and a lot of people who were having a, a sense of renewal in the faith. Mm -hmm. And so there was a lot of energy and passion and um, it, was a, it was an exciting time to be around um, and to be learning from one another, gathering together, and it, it was a very unique time. Yeah. There, there were a lot of folks among us that had left behind, like truly felt like born again, you know, leaving behind everything and, and trying to create a new life, you know, as a new creation. And so we were really into, you know, the, the Bible and especially the book of Acts and um, specifically Acts chapter two, uh, verse 42, uh, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Um, and then that actually, the entire passage there pretty well describes like what we were striving after all the time. We would just meet together continually. We didn't have to schedule things very often because the assumption was that we were going to be getting together to pray and to worship. Um, we used to have drum circles. You know, we mm -hmm. just spontaneously uh, sing out and create new stuff. And it was awesome. Yeah, we had um, a lot of people that had convictions from the mm -hmm. Lord that were just really putting him first in everything that they were doing, um, trying to honor honor, um, honor him in everything that they did. I remember mm -hmm. one guy threw his TV off the balcony because he said it had become an an idol in his life and <laughs> there was another guy that started going the exact speed limit and not a mile per hour over because he felt convicted from the lord and it took forever to get to texas with him <laughs> yeah and that you know i mean we did some foolish things uh, you know back then i remember you know there were definitely missteps but also there was such a a sense of of joy um and excitement for what God was going to do every day. Um, yeah. And just was, seeking it, him in everything that we did. Yeah. Everywhere we went and not minding our reputation or mm -hmm. who knew uh, what we believed and what we stood for. Yeah. Um, Unafraid, unashamed. And, and also a lot of that time that we spent didn't feel like a sacrifice, you know? Yeah. It was, it was a joy. Yeah.
Now, there are a few other people around our church that I know could share similar kinds of stories or have a different perspective, but I think it's so important to lean into who we are, who we have been to discover who God is calling us to be in the future. And I think that God's heart from this passage is to get us to make sure that he is our first love moving forward, that there's been no areas of drift, that we've not given our heart to anything else other than love and devotion to him. To be clear that we're not just called to be like every other church. We're called to be the church that he's called us to be, to be authentic to our identity and our DNA and what God has uniquely designed us to do. And friends, that's what I want to go after in our church. It's what our leaders want to go after. We want to fulfill our unique design and calling, but we've got to do that making sure that he's our absolute first love. So here's what I want us to do. First of all, we're going to take communion together, and then we're going to pray. We're going to take communion together, so go ahead and grab your elements, pause the TV, pause your podcast if you need to right now. We're going to take communion together, recognizing that we are one in the body of Christ. That because he has broken his body and because he has shed his blood, we've been adopted into the family of God and that we are one. So today, when you take communion, I want you to remember that you are a part of a family that is called to Jesus as your first love. You can go ahead and take your communion right now. Now, as you're taking that communion, I have no idea what might be stirring or not stirring in your heart, but my hope is if we were all together in one room, that we would take some time and we would pray together for Fusion Church. And so I want to ask you, if you're with other people right now, uh, that you spend some time praying specifically for our church that we return back to him as our first love and that, and, and that you would pray for our future. Or if you're by yourself and you're alone, that you would spend just a couple minutes just praying for our church and what God has in store for us in the future. So I think that the power uh, is not just in me saying it, but in you calling on God to do what it is that he wants to do. So I want you to spend some time praying together wherever you are. I'm going to pray for us and I'll close and leave you to pray a little bit more. Jesus, let your word be true and everything else that's false be silenced. And Holy Spirit, pour out your power on your church that we might be the people that you've called us to be. That we might be holy and set apart, completely dedicated for you. And that you might make Jesus our first love. We open ourselves up to your rebuke and to your correction now. We also ask for your affirmation. Speak words that are true over us. And call us into the joy of our first love. Call us, Lord Jesus, into the joy of knowing you and following hard after you and seeing people come into the kingdom of God and seeing people grow in freedom, seeing people grow in their identity, seeing people set free from addiction, seeing people uh, healed in their relationships and in their body. In Jesus' name, I pray that you will do these things and wake us up to your purposes for us. In the name of Jesus, amen. I'd ask that you continue to pray and have a great week. We hope that you are encouraged by this week's sermon. For more information, visit us at our website, www.fusionchurch.com, or you could find us on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great week.